Well, good morning. It's so good to be with you today. We're starting a new series that we're entitling Why God. Have you ever had a question for God? The other day, I heard somebody say, and I intentionally have not outed this person, uh, but they said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God, God, why after a 75-degree day do you follow it up in the UP with a 35-degree day? That is a pressing question, you know, that that, uh, that person wanted to know from the Lord. Um, but, but we do uh, often have questions. And I think that we're, we're in essence, I, I think we're actually afraid to ask them. I said this in the first service, and I hadn't thought of it <clears throat> until I was speaking, but um, there, okay, when I grew up, kids, all right, we were told, we were actually told this by our parents. Children are to be seen and not heard, okay? And, and so to ask a question, particularly if they were not your parents, to ask a question of an adult was actually bordering on very disrespectful, okay? And, and if, you, if you question if that, that that really is accurate, just talk to somebody that, you know, is, uh, you know, over 50 and, and just ask them to elaborate on that a little bit. But that's the truth. Um, and so we can, we can fall into this, uh, this thought that it's not okay to ask God questions. And, and what I want to start out today just literally on, on that very question. Is it okay to ask God questions? And, and what I want to do is I want to take us back into the Scripture, and we're going to look at a number of different uh, people in Scripture um, to answer that question, and then we're going to go on from there. So uh, let's look at some examples of people who ask God why. Let's start with the, uh, somebody that we, we, we talk about all these people on a regular basis, but Moses. Moses was appointed by God to be the leader of God's people. Uh, and, and Moses did not want the job. Moses said, God, you've got the wrong guy. Give it to somebody else. I don't talk very well. Uh, you know, and he had lots of excuses. But the scripture says that Moses spoke face to face with God as a man speaks to his friend. The Bible doesn't say that about anybody else. That's an amazing statement. Um, during Moses' ministry, he performed 42 miracles. You might have read some of them. Uh, they're called the 10 plagues of Egypt. Um, and when it was time for those plagues to be done, not only did Moses speak them into existence, he also called them off because it was through his prayer that God did those things. The scripture refers to him as the most humble man on earth. Pretty good resume. Let's look at Numbers chapter 11, starting at verse 11, and then 12, and then drop down to 15. He asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you 
that you put the burden of all these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promised on oath to their ancestors? And then verse 15, is this how you're going to treat me? Please go ahead and kill me. Moses didn't hold anything back. Moses laid it all out on the line. He had some serious questions as to why. God, why are you doing this to me? Why? What, what, in fact, what did, I, what did I ever do to deserve this? Okay? He, he was brutally honest with God. I would say that he, he let God have it. So let me ask you this. Do you think God was offended by his questions? Do you think God somehow was at a loss on how to answer him? I don't think so. Moses had a relationship with God that was unlike any other, and yet he was able to say, God, why? It didn't show a sense of disrespect for him to ask that question. And it wasn't that he wanted to know. He, he wanted the situation to be different. It wasn't about gaining some sort of information. Let's look at Elijah for a second. He's a prophet of God. He declared that it wouldn't rain for several years and it did not rain. He had to hide from the king of Israel at the time, King Ahab. And, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the, while he was in hiding, um, the, uh, the ravens brought him food on a daily basis. Not all of us can can, uh, can say that's happened to us. If a raven brought me food, I wouldn't touch it uh, <clears throat> because I would think it's probably got some sort of a disease because I've seen big, big crows pulling dead stuff off the highway. <clears throat> but that's what happened. And then God said, I want you to go to Zarephath and you're going to see a widow there and she's going she's gonna to help you. She's going to feed you. And so he goes up to the widow. We've talked about this story before. Uh, and, and, the, and he says to the widow, hey, um, you know, could you make me something to eat? And she said, well, I really don't have anything. I'm, I'm literally gathering sticks to make our last meal. My son and I, we're going to die after that. We're going to starve to death. And, uh, and Elijah, with great compassion, he said, I'll have a water with that too. And so God met her need because she was obedient. She made... Uh, she made him the first meal, and God kept providing. And what we don't think about and we don't necessarily recall is that God was so faithful that Elijah moved in. The Bible says that he actually stayed with her. God continued to meet the need for food for them, and Elijah stayed with them. And we get further into the story, and we read that her son dies. So God has provided this miraculous miracle of food every day, the, the daily sustenance. And then when it comes to the big thing, like staying alive, the son dies. And she comes to Elijah and she said, what do you have against me? What do you have against me? 
Why, why did you even come into my life? Why did you even, why did you, even uh, uh, you know, through the power of God, provide for God's provision? Because now my son is dead. And Elijah turns around and he speaks with God. And here's what he says in 1 Kings 17, 20. It says, then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Elijah is asking God, are you responsible for this young man's death? Why would you do that? Tomorrow I'm going to do a funeral for someone. And it's as tragic a situation as I have ever seen or ever heard of. I... I can't even tell you the circumstance because it's too horrific. And the family members are asking God, why? God, why would you do this? Why? Just like I believe Elijah was asking God, God, are you, are you responsible for this? We look at the man named Job. The Bible says that he was blameless. No one was like him. He was blessed. God blessed him with tremendous wealth. We read about a conversation. He feared God. He shunned evil. We read about this conversation between God and Satan. And uh, God is bragging, you know, a little bit on Job. and, um, And Satan says, well, of course Job honors you because You've protected him, you've blessed him, but if you, man, if you let me at him, it'll be a different story. And so God says, okay, you can, you you can, you know, you can mess with him a little bit. And God sets parameters on that, but, but, uh, and, and, and that parameter eventually got moved a little bit. And then Job himself, he suffered tremendously, lost all of his wealth. Uh, His 10 adult children all died. And, um, and then the enemy was allowed to attack his health to the point where his wife said, Job, you should just curse God and die. You don't think Job had some questions as far as why? Look what he says in Job chapter 7, verse 20, the second half of the verse. He said, <clears throat> why have you made me your target? Have you ever felt like God had a, tar- had a target on you? And he's just, man, he's just firing away at you. Every bad circumstance, everything, you know, that you can imagine that's going wrong is just going wrong. And somehow it's like you got a target on your back and God's the one firing the shots at you. That's how Job felt. Do you think Job's questions bothered God? Do you think this family that I'll be doing the funeral for their loved one tomorrow, do you think their questions, do you think those stump God? Do you think that, that somehow he stutters because he just doesn't know exactly how to answer? I don't think so. Look at the man David, man after God's own heart. 
selected by the king, or selected by God as the next king of Israel. He's a faithful uh, and successful military general. Everything that he does turns up good. We certainly know that he had faults, but he's not afraid to ask God why. He's a writer, he's a poet. And in the Psalms, we read questions that he asks of God. And they're questions that, that are, they come right out and, 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 and they, they deal with issues. He said, why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? David was going through trouble. He was calling on God and he felt like God was hiding himself from him. He said, why do the wicked get away with their sin? Sometimes we can look at things in the world and we can, we can wonder to ourselves, why, why is it? That, that things that happen, why do the wicked uh, become so successful? Well, thank you, AJ. I appreciate that, my friend. There's a man that speaks for a living right there. <laughs> Recognizes somebody that's choking to death. Thank you. <clears throat> he wondered those things. He asked those questions of God. Why are you so far from saving me, he writes, so far from my cries of anguish. David was not afraid to ask God questions. And David had failures. He wasn't perfect. So, so we don't have to think, well, in order to ask God a question, I have to somehow be perfect. We don't have to. God is able to handle our questions. And, and my, I think the, the best example, the best example comes from Jesus himself. The scripture says that he's God in the flesh, that he's the very son of God, that he came to serve rather than to be served. He came that the world through him might be saved. And we read in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, verse 46. We've just experienced Easter. Go back before Easter to Good Friday. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And it says about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Could it be that Jesus had not anticipated this? Could it be that Jesus did not understand that in order for the sins of the world to be heaped on him, that his heavenly father would not be able to look at him and would need to turn his back because of that sin. And Jesus' question is why? Why? Do you think God was at a loss on how to answer that? Do you think that question caught God off guard? Do you think he can't handle our questions? Well, one of those questions, and we're going to talk about a few throughout the course of the rest of the month, but one of those questions is, why would God create an evil world? Now, we're going to come up with several renditions. There are other renditions of this, this kind of this exact question. But can we, for a moment, can we agree that there is evil in the world today? Okay, there is evil in this world. And, and we could talk about situations that we read about in the news where it becomes apparent that there's evil. 
Um, and 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 I, I I'm not going to mention any of those. I I feel that there's no lo- no no shortage of those that we can look at that we can establish that indeed there is evil in the world. So why would God allow evil in a world that He has created? Why would a loving God allow us to suffer? Anybody here suffer? Anybody? Have you suffered at all? Anybody? You know, maybe, maybe the kids, they might say, well, you know, okay, yeah, I suffer because, you know, I got, I got disciplined or whatever. It's great. You know, kids, they're so awesome. Um, one day, hopefully, you know, as they become adults, they come back to us and say, now I get it. I, now I understand it. But suffering is a reality of life. We can't get away from it. I mean, there are certainly joys in this life, but suffering is a reality for all of us. Someone would ask, God, why do bad things happen to good people? I believe those questions are based on assumptions. So let's take a look at the assumptions. The first assumption is this, that that God actually created evil. In order to ask the question, we're assuming that God created evil. And the problem, according to James chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. God loves to give good gifts. He is a good Father. He is a loving heavenly Father. And so we're making an assumption that, that he actually is the creator of evil. We're going to get into this a little bit further uh, in just a moment. So let me keep going on my assumptions. The second assumption is that God is the source of suffering. The problem is that Peter says in 2 Peter 3.9, the second half of the verse, that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God... Uh, realizing that eternity is real, that heaven is real, that hell is real. God doesn't want any to perish. God doesn't want any to suffer. And, And as we look at creation, that's the way God designed it. That's the way God created it in the first place. We're gonna, we're gonna continue to dig into that just a little bit deeper in a second. And thirdly, the assumption that we have to have is that somehow God actually desires bad things to happen. So let's take a moment and let's establish where evil comes from. Isaiah chapter 4 tells us about an angel whose name was Lucifer. And Lucifer said this, I'm going to raise my throne above the stars of God. I'm going to make myself like the most high. The Bible says that one-third of all the angels in heaven followed Lucifer. We read about it in Revelation chapter 12, starting at verse 7. Follow along as I read it. It says, Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. 
So Lucifer has fallen from heaven. He's been cast to earth. And now he takes on the form of a serpent. And on the sixth day of creation, God creates man. And God planted a garden. And he put man in it. And God put two trees in that garden. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he told man, you can eat from any tree in the garden that you want, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the consequences, if you eat of that tree, is that you will surely die. We read in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. We read that there's a conversation that takes place there between the serpent and Eve, and Eve tempts the servant, and the Bible says that she is deceived and she eats. And then she gives that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she gives it to her her mate Adam, and he eats it, and because of their sin, it brings a curse on the world. I want you to think of this in one generation. You have Adam and Eve in the garden. One generation later, their sons, Cain, kills Abel. One generation. That's how long it takes for humans to mess up perfection. Think about that. And that curse, the extent of that curse reaches even to us even today. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all because all sinned. We've all been born with a sinful nature because of the fall of man. Sin, death, disease, wickedness, corruption, evil, all are the result of of the curse that, it, that resulted from the disobedience of Adam and Eve in the garden. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we've read this a million times. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. God gave Adam and Eve a choice. Which tree do you want to live in? Do you want to live in the tree of life or do you want to live in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The choice is yours. You get to make the choice. Yes, Eve was tempted. She was deceived. She ate and Adam ate. They made their choice. And God gives us the ability to choose as well. He gives us the ability to choose what tree we want to live in. Do we want to live in the tree of life or do we want to live in the tree of knowledge of good and evil? And thirdly, if God knew, if God knew that man was going to sin, if God knew that the world would be cursed, why did he go ahead and create it all anyway? 
Why didn't he just avoid it? Why didn't he just do something else? Scripture says that God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. 1 John 3.20, it says God knows everything. In Isaiah 46.10, it says that he knows the end from the beginning. So he knew that Adam and Eve were going to sin. And if God knew that, why did he create them? Why didn't he just avoid the whole thing? Here's why. He created man so that he might have a relationship with him. He said, let us make man in our image. God desired a relationship. And that's why he went ahead and did it. That's why he gave him the ability to determine which tree he was going to live out of. And that relationship that God created man for is characterized by worship. It's, it's characterized by serving God. It's characterized by glorifying God. Isaiah 43, 7, it says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. We have been created for God's glory. We have been created to give him glory. That's why God made us. In Revelation 4.11, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. We're created to give him glory. We're created to serve him. We're created to have a relationship with him. But he knew that man would sin, and he knew that sin was going to be a problem that we could not overcome. Isaiah 59, 2, it says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That's a problem for you. That's a problem for me. Our sins separate us. But God loved us so much, he was willing to bridge that gap. His love compelled him to act. Paul says it this way in Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. God was willing to create man knowing that the heart of man is deceitful above all else. God said, I'm still willing. I still want to create man because I still want to have a relationship with him. And I'll do everything that's needed in order to restore that relationship. Remember that the scripture says of Jesus, he's the lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world. God knew ahead of time man would sin. God knew that he would have to come up with a plan of salvation. And that plan was intact from before the creation of the world. And God did it anyway. He was willing to give his son Jesus to die because he desires a relationship with you and with me. He was willing to take that huge risk that we might never respond. I don't know what the questions are that maybe you're dealing with. I don't know what those questions might be. I was praying with someone this morning after the first service, and I said, I said what's the, the question that you have? 
And it was a question about this tent, this, this body that we have. It was broken down. Why? Why, God? Maybe yours is of another circumstance in your life. I don't know what the answer is. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. I don't know what it is. But it's not such that you cannot bring it to him. That you can't come to him and say, God, here is my question. You know, I loved what Dan Herod said a few weeks ago. He said, I'm, I'm not asking you to deny your pain. I'm asking you to stand up in your pain. God is not asking you not to have questions. But he is saying, Will you lay the questions down at my feet and walk with me? So this morning as we close, I just am going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're struggling with a question today, a question for God, and it's really getting in your way and it's really caused you to maybe even to stumble. He's big enough to handle it. And today you want to lay it at his feet. If that's you, I, I want to pray for you this morning. Just, I just would invite you to slip your hand up and just say, you know what, Kevin, that's me, yes. Anyone else? Yes, yes. Anyone else? Yes, you can put them down. Let's stand together, shall we? All of us. As I close, I, I'm reminded of Revelation 3.20 where God says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me, that God is always seeking a restorative relationship with man. Father, today, you've seen these hands that have been raised, folks that have questions, and they don't have answers to those questions, and they live with those questions, and God, some days they don't know what to do with them, but they they know that they're questions that they would ask of you, and, and I pray, Father, that that today they will be able to turn those questions over to you completely, that they'll be able to lay those down at your feet and not forget that they exist and not ignore them, but that they would be able to walk with you, leaving them at your feet, leaving you in charge of those questions, putting their trust and their hope in you regarding those questions and they will be able to walk with you in faith. Father, I thank you today. I thank you, God, that you are not offended by our questions. I'm thankful that you are not, um, that you are not 
worried about us coming to you with our question. You're not concerned about that. You, you won't reject us because we have questions. God, I pray. Lord, as we lay those questions at your feet, we will realize, God, that you are not the one who has brought evil into this world, that you have a desire to bring us life and life more abundantly. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it has been wonderful to be with you today. If you'd like to pray with someone this morning before you leave, I would just make myself available. I know that there are others that would love to pray with you as well. But God bless you. Hang around fellowship for a while. Uh, Get a cup of coffee. Say hi to people. Get to know people. It's great to be with you. God bless you in Jesus' name.